Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We have a lot of stuff to get into over a long Thanksgiving weekend. Continued success for Black Panther, but a double-edged sword for Disney as we see a huge flop in the animation department. We'll talk about all that in just a couple minutes, but first, I'm going to thank my partner here on the show, as always, Carbon Health. We're in the midst of a nasty cold and flu season, but Carbon Health is there for you. If you want to get your flu shot, COVID-19 booster, you can get all that stuff at Carbon Health, or if you're feeling under the weather, you can go into a Carbon Health location, or even better, you can do virtual appointments. You can find out information about all of that stuff on the Carbon Health app, and they keep appointments open every single day for walk-ins because they understand that you can't always schedule when you're going to go to the doctor. Carbon Health is committed to bringing healthcare as affordably as possible to as many people as possible, and that's why I'm proud to have them as a partner for me here on the show. So check out the Carbon Health app for more info. But let's get to this Thanksgiving weekend box office. We've got some three-day numbers and some five-day numbers to go over, and a lot of weird in-the-middle things to to talk about. So let's look first at the three-day weekend. This is Friday through Sunday of this past Thanksgiving weekend. The number one movie was Black Panther Wakanda Forever with $45.5 million. That's just a 31.4% drop from the previous three-day weekend. Disney's Strange World was the big news at the box office this weekend, but not in the good way. It debuts with a very low $12.1 million for its opening weekend. It was open for two days previous that we'll look at in just a few minutes. Spoiler alert, it doesn't really do a whole lot for the gross. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. It is a mystery as to what the actual box office numbers are because, as we know, Netflix does not report them. However, due to some sleuthing and some reports from professionals around the movie industry, it brought in an estimated $9.4 million over the three-day Thanksgiving weekend. The new film Devotion debuts in the top five with a low total of $5.9 million based on the movie's budget. Of course, would have been nice if they put some into that marketing budget. And then in fifth place is The Menu with a 39.2% drop in its second three-day weekend and a $5.4 million total. So let's just tackle the top five right now. We'll get to six through 10 in a minute. Those were the three-day numbers for numbers one through five. Let's look at the five-day Thanksgiving weekend for those same films. And they're in the same order. Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought in $63.8 million over the five-day Thanksgiving weekend. Strange World, still a very low, $18.8 million, especially when you consider that this was a budget north of $150 to $175 million. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, a $13.2 million total, keeping in mind that movie was not in wide release, and we have a lot more to say about that. Devotion bringing in just over $9 million for the five-day holiday weekend, and The Menu at number five was $7.6 million. So let's take the first three movies in order, and let's look first of all at Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I said last week that a lot of the box office story for Black Panther would be written over this holiday weekend. And last week, we also looked and saw that Black Panther Wakanda Forever was tracking just behind day for day Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But because this was a holiday weekend, we saw Wakanda Forever take the lead in that box office race. Here are the grosses of both movies through 17 days with some keystone days highlighted there. And you'll see basically through day 12, Black Panther Wakanda Forever was trailing just behind Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but as we got into that five-day Thanksgiving weekend, we see Wakanda Forever 
take the lead. And it is now through its 17th day of release, about $25 million ahead of where Multiverse of Madness was during the same point in its run. And this was expected, or at least it was something that I expected and probably something Disney expected as well. It's a strong opening weekend, yes, but it has a lot of runway, basically until Avatar comes out, to be the number one movie at the box office. And that's what Marvel was banking on, that people would go see it over this holiday weekend or perhaps go see it a second time. And it looks like that's exactly what happened. When you look at the MCU domestic grosses through 17 days, the Phase 4 films are highlighted there in orange. You see that Spider-Man No Way Home had already picked up about $600 million through 17 days. But look at Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It has, to this point, the seventh highest gross of any MCU film through 17 days. It's just ahead of where Captain America Civil War was at this point in its release. It's actually just behind where Avengers Age of Ultron was at this point in its release. Yes, if you were to do inflation, things would change just a little bit. But Wakanda Forever is now firmly tracking ahead of Multiverse of Madness to be one of the 10 biggest hits at a minimum in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I know that there's a lot of coverage out there that's still going on saying that Wakanda Forever is a disappointment or a flat-out financial financial failure. Painting the movie like that, to me, I call it anti-factual. I don't say wrong, because wrong is something that can be done by mistake. I'm wrong on this show from time to time. I get a number wrong. I got a stat wrong last week. It's accidental. Anti-factual is when you're just flat out selling a false narrative. You can paint Wakanda Forever as some kind of a disappointment based off of whatever expectations you choose to set. I could have said, well, if Black Panther Wakanda Forever doesn't make $900 million domestically, then it's a disappointment. And then if that's my opinion, well, then that's what I'm going to go with. But to say that it's some kind of a financial failure is just anti-factual. It's just numerically not true. And yet there are people out there doing it for all kinds of reasons, usually because of some agenda that usually involves Disney as a whole that generates a lot of views and a lot of clicks and not a lot of facts. One movie, though, whose failure you don't have to parse is Strange World, the latest film from Disney Animation, which had an incredibly disappointing opening over the Thanksgiving weekend. Disney was hoping this would be their big family hit and generate grosses all throughout the holiday season. Well, this was a Thanksgiving turkey. Reporting and Deadline estimated that this movie is going to lose over $140 million because it was a big-budget animated film, and it just didn't open. The marketing didn't work. What marketing there was, and it wasn't very good marketing. The trailers didn't grab you. I mentioned in my review of the film, which was not a positive review, that I think they should have sold the premise of the movie from the beginning, and the idea to hold it back and not put it in the trailers or in the movie until the very end, I think was a very dumb decision because Disney obviously didn't know how to market this movie. Add on top of that, of course, the same controversy that we have seen about just about every single Disney film that's come out in the last year or two that just adds to the negativity around the movie, and you have a perfect storm for a financial failure. To figure out where this lands as far as all-time Disney flops, I looked at the lowest opening weekend grosses for animated Disney films that opened in 1,000 theaters or more. So it would basically be the modern definition of a wide release. And these were the lowest three-day opening weekends for films from Disney Animation that opened in 1,000 or more theaters. At number one was Fantasia 2000 in the year 2000, which had already made a whole roadshow circuit and was put out into theaters almost as an afterthought with a $2.9 million opening. Then 1986's The Great Mouse Detective with $3.2 million. The Rescuers Down Under, 
the movie that people always forget is technically part of the Disney Renaissance at 3.4 million, 1985's The Black Cauldron at 4.1 million, and 1981's The Fox and the Hound at 4.2 million. You see, based on these numbers, that Strange World was in ninth place, the ninth lowest opening for a Disney animated film in its opening weekend in a thousand theaters or more. And some people would say like, well, wait a minute, Dan, Strange World didn't open on a Friday, it opened on a Wednesday, so you should probably use its first three-day gross because that might be a little bit more fair to the movie. Well, I will say that the gross of Strange World in its first three days was actually lower than its gross on its first three-day weekend, Friday through Sunday. So I'm actually kind of doing the movie a favor by looking at it with this metric. Of course, you know what I always love to do here on the show? I like to adjust for inflation. So when you adjust for inflation, Strange World just narrowly avoids being in the Disney Hall of Shame. Looking at the lowest opening weekends with those inflation-adjusted numbers, Fantasia 2000, still the lowest Disney animation opening in 1,000 theaters or more with $4.8 million, followed by The Rescuers Down Under at number two. It flip-flops with The Great Mouse Detective at $7.4 million. Then The Great Mouse Detective at number three with $7.8 million. Raya and the Last Dragon from last year actually cracks this top five the only new movie in the top five with 9.3 million dollars and then the black cauldron at number five with 10.6 million and you see there that in sixth place was strange world with 12.1 million so only the pandemic hampered opening of ryan the last dragon kept this movie from being one of the five lowest disney animated films adjusted for inflation we saw something similar with pixar and Lightyear this summer it was only because onward had such an abbreviated release due to the covid19 pandemic that Lightyear didn't set worst marks in a lot of different categories, and we're seeing a similar thing here. Now, on the one hand, perhaps it's a relief if you are the writer or director of Strange World that you were not in this top five, but it's actually probably not that much of a relief because it was the same writer and same director for Raya and the Last Dragon and Strange World, so they now own two of the six lowest wide openings for a Disney animated film, adjusted for inflation. So what happened here? You can't blame the pandemic. I know some people will say when a movie doesn't do well, well, we're still in the pandemic, we're still in the pandemic. There are other parts of the Disney business that have been able to defy the business model and actually do well despite the pandemic. First and foremost, obviously Marvel. But even in Kanto last year, when the pandemic was much more uh, in play, when there were worries about surges, still did way better than Strange World. We'll look at those numbers in just a couple of minutes. This was just a movie that wasn't sold well, that nobody was really interested in, they didn't know what it was about, and nobody went to see it. You do have to work harder to get people into theaters. That, I will say, is a byproduct of the pandemic. You can't just assume that people are going to show up anymore because as the Walt Disney name, and they did an exceptionally poor job of marketing this movie. One movie that didn't need a lot of marketing, though, because people were very anxious to see it, was Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I mentioned it came in around third place with that estimated number for the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. The only bad part of that performance, really, is that they likely left a lot of money on the table because Netflix only agreed to a limited release for this movie. It was in about 650 theaters, give or take, and it was still able to come in third place. There was a great story in The Hollywood Reporter about how Glass Onion likely left tens of millions of dollars on the table by doing this limited release. Keep in mind, the first Knives Out movie opened to $26.7 million over the three-day Thanksgiving weekend in 2019, $41.4 million over the five-day weekend. It was a huge hit on streaming, on physical media. The numbers reported that Knives Out sold about $23 million in just Blu-rays and DVDs alone. Redbox said that it was their fifth most rented film in 2020. So I would argue that as popular as Knives Out was in theaters, it got even more popular after its theatrical 
run. And if they had expanded this release to even 1,200 theaters or maybe 2,000 theaters and the widest of wide releases now get closer to 4,000 theaters, then I think you would have seen a substantially higher number. I think Netflix probably left at a minimum 20 to $30 million on the table with Glass Onion. And you have to ask yourself why, because they paid over $400 million to secure the rights to make both this movie and the next Knives Out sequel. And, you know, people keep saying that I'm dumb, that I don't understand economics or everything, because I've been saying for years, explain to me how Netflix is going to make back $400 million off of two movies that they've invested in. People say like, oh, well, you just don't get it because of subscribers and monthly income, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think the market is saying otherwise. And I think it's very likely that the next Knives Out film that's already been greenlit that Netflix paid through the nose to make will be in an even wider theatrical release pattern because the subscriber only method, this idea of investing billions of dollars into content because you have to get the subscribers and that's what's gonna make you profitable, it's not working out so great for most of the big streamers. So the good news is that a lot of people did get to see Glass Onion in a theater, and it will be playing through, I believe, Wednesday. It's an exclusive one-week theatrical engagement, and then it goes away for a month, and then it comes back onto Netflix for a month, starting on, I think, December 23rd. If you ask me, you could get an even better profit by doing the whole theatrical run and then using Netflix as the exclusive streaming home for Glass Onion, because we've seen that library titles do well on streaming services. Encanto, for example, had a wide theatrical release last year. Throughout this entire year, it was one of the most in-demand streaming titles on Disney+. It's not one or the other, and I think that Netflix is very likely to rethink their strategy when this next one comes out. So we've done a lot of talking so far, or at least I have, and we're only through the top five. So let's get to six through 10. First for the three-day weekend, at number six was Black Adam with a $3.2 million total, a 29.5% drop-off from the weekend prior. Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans expanded, still though into limited release, about the same number as Glass Onion, actually, but a substantially lower box office count. $2.2 million in its third week as it expands its release window. Bones and All in its second week went to about 2,000 theaters, so it went into a legit wide release, but was only able to convert that for the three-day weekend to a $2.2 million total in eighth place. Ticket to Paradise is at number nine in its sixth week with a 41.6% drop, and then The Chosen Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2, took an 81.9% tumble from last weekend, but was still good enough to land at number 10 for the three-day weekend. These movies did change, though, when you look at the five-day Thanksgiving weekend. Black Adam stays at number six with a $4.4 million total. Bones and All, by virtue of having a wider release, was able to come in seventh place over the five-day weekend with $3.6 million total. The Fablemans from Spielberg, $3.1 million in eighth place. Ticket to Paradise at number nine with $2.6 million. And then not appearing in the three-day weekend, but good enough for the five-day weekend at number 10, is She Said in its second week with $1.5 million. And even though She Said did make the chart for the five-day holiday, it still officially dropped out of the top 10 when we look at the weekend box office after just one week. Lyle Lyle Crocodile also drops out after seven weeks. Smile drops out after eight weeks. Drishium 2 drops 
out after one week, and Pray for the Devil drops out after four weeks. Absolute carnage of the box office top 10, as these films made way for a lot of newcomers and expanding releases. Let's take a look at something I call the road to recovery for the box office. I look at this year's box office versus last year's box office versus the average from 2015 to 2019, basically the five years preceding the pandemic. And you can see that we were ahead of where we were on week 47 last year, but that's only because due to a quirk in the way that the calendar works, week 47 was the weekend before Thanksgiving last year. It's Thanksgiving weekend this year. The Thanksgiving box office was actually lower this year than it was last year in 2021. And some people would say, well, how can that be? How could it be that an industry that's had an entire extra year to recover, that doesn't have to worry as much about the spread of COVID-19, we haven't had a variant surge in a while, how could the box office be lower over a holiday weekend? Well, I'll show you how. And the most instructive way to do that is to look at the box office top five for this Thanksgiving weekend versus last Thanksgiving weekend. The number one movie over the five-day Thanksgiving weekend last year was Encanto. And that really puts Strange World's failure into perspective. It more than doubled it up with a $40.5 million debut. Now, this year, the number one movie had a higher gross. The third week of Black Panther Wakanda Forever with a $63.8 million gross. Gross, but starting in the next spot, we see where the deficiencies start to come in. The number two movie over Thanksgiving weekend last year was Ghostbusters Afterlife, $35 million in its second week. So we had a big franchise film that was served up the week before Thanksgiving. We did not see that this year. And the number two film was Strange World, a new Disney animated film. The hope was that it would do better, but it actually only did a little more than half in its opening weekend that we saw Ghostbusters Afterlife do in its second weekend last year. So that's one big reason why the Thanksgiving holiday was bigger in 2021. If we look at number three, this is also a difference in release strategy. We have two adult skewing titles. This year, we had Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. It made an estimated $13.2 million over the five-day Thanksgiving weekend. But House of Gucci debuted last year with $22 million. And why did House of Gucci do so much better? Well, I would argue it's because it got a wide release. It was in all theaters nationwide. There was a release strategy that was theatrical first, and I think that that's the difference. If Glass Onion had been in the same number of theaters as House of Gucci, I think it would have easily exceeded that number, but it wasn't because Netflix is still trying to manage themselves as a streamer first when it comes to their films. At number four last year was Eternals with $11.4 million and a week four holdover over a disappointing Marvel movie was still better than the debut of Devotion, which had just over $9 million. And again, a lot of that is marketing. A lot of that is IP. The fact that you had a big Marvel film that was still in the marketplace, even though it was itself struggling at the box office, still a bigger draw than a very, I think, poorly marketed original film. Is that fair? Is it not fair? That's for you to decide, but that's one reason, again, why last year was the better box office. And then at number five, we had another new film, not a particularly impressive debut, but last year we had Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. It debuted to $8.8 million. And this year we had a much better movie, but in its second week, The Menu. I think you could have held it back. I think you could have debuted The Menu over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend and said, we're going to do a whole food-themed marketing campaign. It would have made sense. Give people five days to go see it. It skews a little bit older, so that makes sense. But that's not what happened. And another reason why we had a lower turnout at the box office is because 
because we didn't have as many options in as many places. I did another marketplace analysis. It's something I did back in the summer where I look at the number of available showtimes in my local market and how many of those each movie had versus a big city. So these were the movies that were available in my local market on Black Friday, on the day after Thanksgiving, November 25th, a big movie going day. There were 252 total showtimes and you see that Black Panther Wakanda Forever was the leader. 22% of all showtimes on Black Friday available in my local market were for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Strange World was number two, 15% of the market and yet it was playing to mostly empty theaters, which is not good news for theater owners. The menu made up 10% of my local available shows, followed by Devotion with 9%, She Said with 9%, Bones and All with 8%, Black Adam with 6%, and The Chosen with 4%. But look there at Glass Onion, eight showtimes on Black Friday. It was only playing, I believe, in one or two theaters in my local market. Only 3% of available shows were for Glass Onion, and it was the number three movie over the five-day holiday and the three-day Thanksgiving weekend. And this was a case where Glass Onion and also The Fablemans were much more available in the bigger cities, but were not booked across what most people would call Middle America, which is where I live. So let's look at the movies that were available in the Los Angeles metro area on Black Friday. And the big movies were about the same. Wakanda Forever constituted 20% of all available showtimes in the LA metro area that I analyzed. That's pretty similar to the 22% in my local market. Strange World was identical with 15% of showtimes across both markets. The menu, just slightly less available in LA, 9% of showtimes versus 10% in my market. Devotion, also very similar, 8% versus 9%. She said very similar, 7% in the LA metro area, 9% of showtimes in my area. Bones and All, very similar, 7% in LA, 8% locally. Black Adam, very similar, 5% in LA, 6% locally. But this is where things begin to diverge. The Chosen, for example, on Black Friday was only 1% of the showtimes in Los Angeles, but that made up 4% of the showtimes in my neck of the woods. But look at Glass Onion. 8% of all showtimes in Los Angeles on Black Friday were for Glass Onion versus just 3% in my local market. So it was a movie that was much more widely available. Now, some people would say, well, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's a bigger population, but it would also have been nice, I can say from experience, if there had been one or two more shows available for Glass Onion locally, maybe the word would have gotten out. Maybe more people would have gotten to see the film. The other movie that I mentioned was Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. It was not playing at all in my local market, despite being marketed as having opened everywhere. It was 4% of total showtimes in the LA metro area. So I've a lot of people saying like, well, why was the Spielberg movie? Why did it only make this much money? Well, maybe it's because it wasn't booked in a lot of places around the country. Maybe they should have worked to get that movie in more theaters. Maybe they should have worked to give people more options instead of maybe glancing at Black Panther, which they've already seen, and Strange World, which they heard wasn't very good, and said, eh, you know, maybe I'm not going to go see it. I think it's actually kind of counterproductive the way that they market and book a lot of films where they're like, well, we're only going to book these movies in the large cities because that's where people really care about them. Whereas I think the more that you get movies as accessible as possible, even in, let's say, the biggest city in each state, the more people are going to go see them. It may not be packing the houses, but you're still going to be giving that movie exposure. The way that they do it now, it made it feel like that the Fablemans and the studio didn't care about 
my market and didn't really care to show us that movie. And to be honest, that makes the market feel like, well, you know, screw you then. I'm not going to see it. How many people in my local market would have gone to see The Fablemans this weekend if they could have? I think a fair amount, at least a substantial amount of people would. The same number that may have gone to see Glass Onion if it had been in more theaters. Maybe a theater that was located closer to them or at a time that was more convenient. I know that you have to be strategic about where you're going to book your movies and what markets, etc. But more and more, it seems like studios are avoiding even medium sized markets that they think are not going to have movies that appeal to them or that the movie that they book isn't going to be something that's interesting to the people that live there. And I think that that's a big mistake. I really, really do. Let's look at the per theater averages for the three-day weekend and Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, 696 theaters. So I guess a little bit closer to 700 than the 650 number I was saying. $13,218 in each of those nearly 700 theaters. That's good enough for the best per theater average of the weekend. Wakanda Forever's there in second place, $10,705 per theater in each of its 4,258 theaters. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed was in third place, playing in just three theaters, a $9,601 average per theater. This is a documentary about the activist Nan Golden and her crusade against the big pharma companies behind the opioid crisis. A rare documentary to take the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is that festival's top prize, and of course making the rounds as awards season heats up. At number three is EO, which is the Polish film that we talked about last week about a donkey or mule running around the countryside. $7,784 in two theaters. And then again, as awards season ramps up, we saw a return of Fire of Love playing in three theaters, probably in those key award show markets. $4,839 per theater. If you haven't seen Fire of Love, it's available on Disney Plus uh, and widely elsewhere. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's a fantastic documentary. Looking at the movies in limited release, so these would be movies in 1,000 theaters or fewer. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. We're not used to seeing a number like this on the limited release chart, $9.2 million for the three-day weekend. Easily the top gross on the limited release chart this week. The Fableman still playing in limited release, 638 theaters in its third week for a $2.2 million total. The Banshees of Sharon in 400 theaters in its sixth week of release, bringing in another $342,000. Triangle of Sadness in its eighth week of release, and I think it's eighth week on this chart, $115,000 total in 77 theaters. And then H24 after Sun, which is becoming a dark horse contender for a lot of awards this season. 75 theaters for $47,000 total in its sixth week of release. Looking at the top grocers this year in limited release, 1,000 theaters or fewer, and poor the Banshees of Inisharan. It was poised to take over the top spot from Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva, but in came Ryan Johnson and Glass Onion. In just one week of release, already the top grossing film for any movie playing in limited release this year, with an estimated $13.3 million total. Again, that is an estimate. We don't know the actual number because Netflix doesn't report those numbers. The Banshees of Inisharan is relegated again to second place, $7.8 million, but it did pass Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva, which has dropped down to third place. BTS Permission to Dance drops down to fourth. KGF Chapter 2 drops down to fifth. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On drops to sixth. The portion of Terrifier 2's release when it was in limited release drops to 7th place. Orphan First Kill drops to 8th. Pony and Selvan drops to 9th. Moon Age Daydream drops to 10th. And Cyrano, which I think has been on this chart from the very beginning of the year, almost lasts the entire year, but drops out of the top 10. 
Looking at the 2022 domestic fall holiday box office, so this is everything post-Labor Day through the end of the year, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, easily again by now over $200 million, the number one movie domestically for this part of the year. We'll see if Avatar, pretty much the only movie that could challenge it for that number one spot. $367.4 million. Black Adam at number two with $162.8 million. Smile at number three with $105.4 million. The Woman King at number four with just over $67 million. Ticket to Paradise breaks into the top five as it goes across the $65 million barrier. That drops Halloween Ends down one spot to number six. Don't Worry Darlings at number seven. Lyle Lyle Crocodiles at number eight. Barbarian is at number nine. And the re-release of Avatar is at number 10. Let's look now outside of the domestic box office to the international marketplace. And we had a repeat for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, $32.1 million in first place. At number two was Strange World with $9.2 million internationally. So not a big box office draw outside of the United States and Canada either. But I just want to point something out. Look at that poster. And then look at that poster versus the poster that we got here in the domestic marketplace. This is what I mean when I say I don't really think Disney understood how to market this film. This international poster is almost objectively better than the one that Disney decided to use. I just don't understand their strategy with this movie. The menu's at number three internationally with $5.4 million. At number four is a South Korean film called The Night Owl with $5.2 million. And at number five, another really interesting box office story from this past weekend, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical with $5 million. This was just in the United Kingdom and it actually was the number one movie in the UK this past weekend ahead of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This was another box office experiment from Netflix. It'll be going to Netflix worldwide around Christmas, but they decided to release it only in the UK theatrically, and it paid off. It was a big hit in that country, and we will be seeing that movie here on Netflix right around the holiday season. When you take the international numbers, you smash them together with the domestic numbers, we get our top films worldwide. Black Panther Wakanda Forever remains number one with $77.6 million. Strange World at number two with $21.3 million. That ain't going to cut it. The Menu's at number three with $10.8 million. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, I put $9.5 million because that's just a little bit above what we know of the domestic total. It was open in a lot of other countries, but as little as we know about the movie domestically, we know even less less worldwide. So it could have made significantly more. It could have made less. We don't really know. That's just a total shot in the dark. And at number five is Black Adam with just over $6 million worldwide rounding out that top five. Looking at the 2022 domestic box office, no real change, at least not in the top five, not yet. Top Gun Mavericks at number one, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number two, Jurassic World Dominion at number three, Minions The Rise of Gru at number four, The Batman at number five. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, though, has surpassed Thor Love and Thunder's gross after just 17 days. It has now earned $367.4 million domestically. That's less than $10 million behind the number three three movie of the year, Jurassic World Dominion. So by next week here on the show, Wakanda Forever will at least be number three. If it can make about $45 million in the next week, then it will surpass Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness by next week. I'm not quite sure if it'll be able to do that. Thor 11 Thunder drops down to number seven, and then numbers eight through 10 remain the same. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at eight, Black Adam at nine, and Elvis at number 10. 
Looking at the worldwide box office for 2022, Top Gun Maverick remains number one, Jurassic World Dominion at number two, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number three, the first movie under a billion dollars for 2022. Again, only one movie really that has a shot at becoming a third billion dollar grocer this year, and that is Avatar The Way of Water. We'll see if that'll happen. Minions The Rise of Gru is at number four. The Batman is at number five. Thor Love and Thunder is at number six for now. Less than $100 million behind it is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Love and Thunder topped out around $760.9 million. Wakanda Forever is currently at $676 million with a lot of runway in front of it. It has topped the battle at Lake Chung Jin 2, which drops down to number eight. Moon Man's at number nine. And Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore is at number 10. Black Panther Wakanda Forever also jumped up to the number eight spot on the previous 365-day worldwide chart. So if you take today's date, you roll the calendar back 365 days, these were the top 10 movies over that period of time. For the next couple weeks, Spider-Man No Way Home stays at the top of this chart. Then Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and Minions The Rise of Gru. The Batman and Thor Love and Thunder are at numbers 6 and 7. Black Panther Wakanda Forever jumps up to number 8. Over the Battle Lake Chung Jin 2 at number 9. And Moon Man at number 10. So it's at this point in the show where I like to look at a weekend in box office history, but also take a moment to remember people in the entertainment industry who have passed away. And there were a couple of names that were big in the music industry, but for very different reasons, that you are probably familiar with in some way, shape, or form. The first is Wilco Johnson, who was probably perhaps best known worldwide as Sir Ellen Payne, the mute executioner on Game of Thrones, who executed poor Ned Stark and later made his way onto Arya Stark's death list. But in the UK, Wilco Johnson was acclaimed for his musical talents as the guitarist in the 1970s band Dr. Feelgood. His work is often cited as influential in the UK punk scene nearly a decade ago. Johnson was given months to live due to pancreatic cancer, but it later proved treatable and after surgery he was declared cancer free. Also passing away in the last week was Irene Cara, an Academy Award winner for Best Original Song for What a Feeling from the movie Flashdance. She also won a Grammy and a Golden Globe for that song. Irene Cara was also notable for starring in 1980s fame and contributing to that hugely popular soundtrack. And her music lives on. It is still featured in countless TV shows, countless movies. And like I said, both of these artists really leaving their mark on the music industry, on television, on movies, multi-talented multifaceted people whose legacies will not be soon forgotten and as always my best wishes go out to their friends family and fans Let's look now at a weekend from Box Office Past, and we're going to go back 15 years ago to another Thanksgiving Day weekend featuring an original movie that recently got a sequel. This is the five-day Thanksgiving weekend from November 21st to the 25th, 2007, 15 years ago, which saw the debut of Enchanted, which just got a sequel, Disenchanted, on Disney+. $49 million over that five-day stretch. Good enough to top number two this Christmas, which opened to a surprising $26.3 million a big hit in its own right, especially when you look at the budget. Robert Zemeckis' Beowulf was at number two with $23.5 million. That's right. This was the mid-2000s when you could say, I'm going to make an all mocap version of that book that everyone hates to read in English class, and you could still make some money. At number four was the Hitman video game adaptation starring Timothy Oliphant with $21 million. And at number five in its fourth weekend, believe it or not, $15.7 million for DreamWorks' B-Movie starring Jerry Seinfeld and Renee Zellweger. But as we've been doing for the past several weeks, I don't like to just look at a flash back in those old 2007 dollars 
I like to hit the inflation button. And when we hit that inflation button, this is what those grosses would look like today. $70.5 million for Enchanted, $37.9 million for This Christmas, which again puts into perspective just how much of a hit that movie was. Beowulf with $33.9 million, Hitman with $30.3 million, and B-Movie with $22.6 million. So like most other Thanksgiving weekends, much more successful than the one that we just experienced. Let's wrap up as we do every week by looking at the streaming charts, and we will start with what people are buying and renting over in the iTunes store. At number one is Black Adam, which is now available for purchase and premium video on demand. Those are those high-priced 1999 rentals. At number two is Top Gun Maverick. At number three, Bullet Train. At number four, Ticket to Paradise. The Woman King now available for purchase only on streaming. The Grinch is at number six. Poker Face is at number seven. This movie was directed by, written by, and stars Russell Crowe as a billionaire who hosts his friends for a poker night at his house. At number eight, I just mentioned that it was a popular streaming title all throughout 2020, and the sequel has obviously revived some interest. Knives Out re-enters the iTunes chart. At number nine, Lamborghini, The Man Behind the Dream. And at number 10 is Nope, available for purchase and rental. These were the top 10 most watched programs on Netflix for the week of November 14th through November 20th. This uses a little metric that I invented called the PFV number or potential finished views. I take the length of a program, I divide it by the number of hours that it was watched, and that gives me the number of people that could potentially have finished viewing it across any given week. These are worldwide numbers. And at number one for a second week is the Lindsay Lohan Christmas film, Falling for Christmas. 37.8 million hours watched for a PFV number of 24.4. At number two, is the Little Nemo adaptation Slumberland, directed by Francis Lawrence and starring Jason Momoa. No, I didn't just draw all of that stuff out of a hat. That's a real movie, a PFV of 16.7. At number three is The Wonder, which is directed by Sebastian Lelio. It's a period drama starring Florence Pugh, a PFV of 14.5 with 26.1 million hours watched. Christmas with You, co-starring Freddie Prinze Jr. is at number four with 17.9 million hours watched and a PFE of 11.95. Minions and More Volume 2 is a top five finisher with a PFE of 11.93 just behind Christmas with You. Lost Bullet 2 is at number six. 1899 Season 1, the Netflix original series, is at number seven with a PFE of 10.9. Enola Holmes 2 drops down to number eight. Where the Crawdads Sing is at number nine with a PFE of 9.8. Sony, one of the few studios that is still licensing their films to Netflix soon after their theatrical runs have ended. And then at number 10 is The Crown Season 5 in its second week, but not really binge-worthy for a lot of Netflix viewers. 84.3 million hours watched, which is tops for the week as far as raw watch time, but a PFV number of 9.7. Let's wrap up now by looking at the streaming numbers that are provided by Nielsen. Now, these are not perfect. They're delayed by about a month, so we're actually looking at the week leading right into Halloween. They also don't include all streaming services, but a lot of them are now reporting numbers through Nielsen. This is for the U.S. only, and it doesn't include all devices, but this is just a good general indicator of what people are watching. The most watched streaming movie, according to Nielsen, for the week of October 24th to October 30th, so a spooky ooky time of year, was The Good Nurse with 16.8 million hours watched. Watched. The School for Good and Evil is at number two with 9.9 million hours watched. Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus, not surprisingly there at number three with 7.1 million hours watched. The German remake of All Quiet on the Western Front enters the chart at number four on Netflix with 5.6 million hours watched. Then The Nightmare Before Christmas cracking the top five on Disney Plus, 4.4 million hours watched. Barbarian making its debut on HBO Max at number six with 4.1 million hours watched. The original Hocus Pocus joining the chart here on Disney Plus 
3.7 million hours watched, enough to top Blade of the 47 Ronin on Netflix, which clocked in 3.6 million hours watched. The Curse of Bridge Hollow on Netflix is at number nine, and The Chalk Line on Netflix is at number 10. Looking at the 10 most watched streaming shows for October 24th through 30th, or at least the ones that reported their numbers to Nielsen, The Watcher on Netflix remains number one with 20.5 million total hours watched, but right behind was the debut of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix, 18.6 million total hours watched. Right behind that was From Scratch on Netflix, starring Zoe Saldana, 17 million hours watched for that Netflix original series. Love is Blind on Netflix wasn't too far behind that with 16.8 million hours watched, followed by Coco Melon with 13.4 million hours watched. The Blacklist at number six with 12.2 million hours. House of the Dragon on HBO Max, 11.7 million hours watched, despite the fact that the season finale had been the week before. So a lot of spillover watching for House of the Dragon, something that we did not see with the Rings of Power on Amazon. NCIS on Netflix is at number eight with 11.5 million hours watched, followed by Grey's Anatomy at number nine with 10.3 million hours watched, returning to the chart. And at number 10 is Gilmore Girls on Netflix with 10.2 million hours watched. But I don't just look at the raw numbers, I also look at watch time per episode. So the total number of hours watched versus the number of available episodes. And looking at it by that metric, The Watcher's still number one with 2.94 million hours watched for each of its seven episodes. Cabinet of Curiosities close behind with 2.3 million hours watched per episode. Then From Scratch at 2.13 million. House of the Dragon jumps up to number four with 1.18 million hours watched per episode. Then number five is a movie that did not make the overall top 10, which is Andor. It had eight available episodes for the week that was measured here for a total hours watched per episode of 802,083. So maybe not racking up those raw numbers, but Andor putting in some nice numbers per episode. Coco Melons at number six, followed by Dahmer at number seven, Love is Blind at number eight, Unsolved Mysteries at number nine, and The Center with 281,720 hours watched for each of its 31 available episodes. And that does it for a busy post-Thanksgiving charts with Dan. It's also a very busy post-Thanksgiving week, both at the box office and on streaming. Tomorrow, the first couple of episodes of the Disney Plus original series, Willow, hits the Disney Plus streaming service. I will have my review of those episodes tomorrow when the embargo drops, so look forward to that. This weekend, the only real wide release is the David Harbour Santa Claus film, Violent Night. I will be there the earliest I can be on Thursday, and I will likely bring you a review for that movie here on the channel because it's one of my most anticipated of this holiday season. And then a wide variety of films that are opening in limited release this weekend. Spoiler alert, which is a book adaptation opens in limited release, along with Will Smith's next movie, Emancipation, from director Antoine Fuqua. It's going into limited release before hitting the Apple streaming service next weekend. Women Talking, which is a big awards contender, at least has a lot of buzz right now, entering limited release. And then on streaming, a couple of interesting projects. Senior is hitting Netflix. This is a documentary about Robert Downey Sr. that is produced by his son, Robert Downey Jr., and examines their relationship. And then on Disney+, Plus, the animated film Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules. There have been live-action films. Now we get an animated film spun off from that popular series of kids' books. And that does it for me here on Charts. Like I said, stay tuned tomorrow for my review of Willow. If there's any breaking news and also stuff that's coming out in theaters, awards, movies, etc., you can be assured that I will be covering it right here on the channel. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you to Skipper Martin, who is a professional color expert who helped me to kind of get my phone footage looking all right when my camera was broken. And then as soon as we set that look, my camera came back, but he helped design a whole new look, the lighting and the color correction that I'm using now. 
So uh, thank you to Skipper, a man of great expertise and great patience who gave me uh, a lot of his time over the last week or so. But most of all, thank you for watching. I'll be back very soon with more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.